you haven't already, turn in your copy of the scriptures to the letter of 1 Corinthians as we begin a new study. So different than Ecclesiastes in so many ways. Such good, rich truth for us to experience today. Well, the title of my message this morning is God is Calling. God is Calling. You get a lot of phone calls during the day? I do. Never thought it was very important to uh, spend a lot of money on different ringtones. So if you call me during the week, whatever that standard Apple iPhone ringtone is, you're lumped in with everybody else. But there's one. And if my wife Lori calls me, I'm alerted to Mission Impossible. (laughs) And I don't know what's coming. In fact, just two days ago, a text came. I'm at the store, and the car is locked, and it's running, and I'm outside of it. And, you know, um, but we get calls. God is calling. There have been many calls to action, things you're familiar with. Speeches. I have a dream, MLK. The speech at Gettysburg by Abe Lincoln. Winston Churchill's finest hour. One that I remembered as a young uh, boy was the midnight ride of Paul Revere, the call. Longfellow wrote this poem, Listen, my children, and you shall hear. The midnight ride of Paul Revere. He goes on, he said to his friend, the British march by land or by sea, from town to night, hang a lantern aloft in the belfry arch of the North Church Tower as a signal light. One if by land and two if by sea. And I on the opposite shore will be ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm for the country folk to be up and to arm. Longfellow finished, so through the night rode Paul Revere and so through the night went his cry of alarm to every Middlesex village and farm, a cry of defiance and not of fear, a voice in the darkness, a knock at the door, and a word that shall echo forevermore. It's beautiful language. The hurrying hoofbeats of that steed and the midnight message of Paul Revere. Calls to action. Calls on the phone. Calls of speeches. Impact the world. Impact our lives. Today we're going to see, we're just going to look at the first three verses of 1 Corinthians. This opening greeting. And looking for a unifying theme. uh, The one that became evident to me is that God is calling. This morning we're going to look at a better and more glorious call than any of the speeches that I've referenced, poems, even the first call, Alexander Graham Bell, the Mission Impossible calls that I get from my wife. The call of God to his church, his people, and the effects of that call in our lives. Let me read the text for you again. It's three short verses. This should be easy for us to handle. Certain times in Ecclesiastes, we were taking on 27 at a time. It's a greeting. As Pastor Brian said last week, we're reading someone else's mail. And this is the opening letter, the opening, uh, the opening portion. Paul, the author, called by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. 
to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if God is calling today, we're going to see just a couple of things here. We're going to see uh, the call of God on the author. He says it right there. Paul called by the will of God. You see that? We'll talk about that for a moment. In verse 2, he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, called to be saints. You see that? So the church is called. Not just the apostle is called the author, but the recipients of the letter. The hearers are called by God also. And in verse 3, the common greeting, we'll talk, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here, I'm just giving you the road map. Um, the common greeting would have been peace and health in that day. Many times when I write a letter, I might say, I sent Greg an email a couple of weeks ago, hey Greg, hope all is well. All right, I mean, a nice wish, a warm wish. Paul changes it. He doesn't say peace and health. He says grace and peace. And he says, where does it come from? From God our Father. God is calling. God is offering and extending grace and peace. So you see the, the big theme here that we're looking at. Um, just a few thoughts there I want to point out just from the text, big picture, so you see the roadmap as I see it as we're going forward. If you remember Ecclesiastes, boy, this is different. One of our struggles as pastors in our study through the book of Ecclesiastes was finding Jesus in, in organic ways out of the text. Well, for goodness sakes, finding Jesus, we only found God five times in the whole book, six times in the whole book, right? Well, look at this. Chapter 1, verse 1, the will of God. Chapter 1, verse 2, the church of God. Chapter 1, verse 3, God our Father. You see the unifying theme there? Not just God the Father, but chapter 1, verse 1, Christ Jesus. Chapter, verse 2, Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Verse 3, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Is Paul trying to make a point here? That's a lot. We've got to see that. It's very, very important. I already pointed out the word called and called there in verse 1 and 2. Those are standing next to each other. They're going to form a little bit of structure for us. There's one other thing I want to point out to you in the text before we begin to preach it this morning, and that's in verse 2. Uh, there's a repeated word here that's not real obvious in our English language, but Paul says, to those who are sanctified, called to be saints. That's the same word. It's a similar word in the original language. We're, we're, it's this idea of holiness, that we're called to be holy, set-apart saints, and we're being created and made to be holy, and it's not especially evident, but those words are, are essentially the same word in the Greek, different verb and noun, but um, same idea, and they're set there together, and Paul's making some very plain, simple points to set up the rest of his letter. Well, if you're reading this, and if you were reading, and I was reading, and I, I'd, I'd have a few questions. Uh, Paul begins by identifying himself and Sosthenes. These are the guys that he talks about in verse 1. What does it mean that Paul was called to be an apostle? Why is that important? Paul identifies himself as an apostle. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
We don't know too much about this fellow, Sosthenes. Randy, I'm glad I'm, I have to go slow when I say it, too. It's, uh, that's, that's not a, I've not, never contemplated naming one of my children Sosthenes. It doesn't roll off the tongue really well. But why is it important that Paul mentions this ministry partner? Is it a random name drop, or does it have meaning? I hope as you were reading the Scripture, that's the kind of question you would ask yourself. Well, how does this partnership in ministry serve what Paul is trying to communicate to us this morning? And what does it mean to the original hearers, the Corinthians? Did they know this man? Good questions for us to ask. Several key terms such as sanctified, called, saints, grace, and peace are introduced by Paul here. And next week, Pastor Brian is going to grab all of those words and they are going to explode. I hope you come back next week because this is just the beginning. Well, What is Paul trying to do? Well, I believe that what Paul's trying to do in these three verses as a greeting, have you ever written a letter? You try to engage the person you want to, these nowadays you can take whole classes on how to write good subject lines for an email to get people to actually pay attention. Very important how things begin. What is Paul trying to do with his readers? I believe that Paul is trying to build unity and rapport, connection with these people, with the Corinthian believers, specifically based on their shared connection to God through Jesus Christ. Paul's called by God, they're called by God through the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And that's very, very important because Paul and the Corinthians weren't always getting along real well. (laughs) If you read the whole book, we had a great group in our community Bible reading Uh, Last Wednesday night, I hope more of you will come out Monday. As you read the whole book, you understand this angst and divisions and the the politicking and the the favoritism and the clickiness of the Corinthian church. And Paul is trying to make a point here this morning. So what do we take away from that? I believe that for us this morning, our great need is to recognize the call of God placing us collectively here at Heather Hills. God has called us to his church, certainly to a bigger church. Both are in view here, the church at Corinth and everyone who names the name of the Lord Jesus. Did you hear that? Both their Lord and ours. There is a, there's a both and in here, but we, as in God's grace and providence, have been called together here at Heather Hills to receive his blessings. We need to recognize the call of God on us and how he's collectively placed us here at Heather Hills to serve and to receive his blessings. Classic, classic greeting in the uh, day and age, initial greeting to the recipients, intended audience, and what is he going to be speaking about? All right, let's move on, talk about uh, the verses themselves. Number one, God calls the author. Let's meet the man, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, called by the will of God to be an Apostle of Christ Jesus. Most important thought here, I believe, in Paul's mind is that he is called by God. He is called by God. He is saying this right out, right out of the gate to the Corinthian believers. I have been called by God to be an apostle. It's a, a very typical ancient um, way of beginning a letter. But the important thing here is that Paul is supporting his authority to shepherd the Corinthian church. It's important because in this letter, Paul's shepherding is going to involve an enormous amount of correction and admonishing. I don't love that. 
I was just thinking about this in the basketball coaching I did yesterday, and I wonder how some of you would feel if I preached the way I coached basketball. Michael, stop it! No, no, you know, I, I just, this is what Paul is going to be doing through his whole letter. He has to establish some kind of authority, and he reminds them. He was called by God. If you don't know the story from Acts chapter 9, it didn't make my... I had it in here and I ran out of time. So, but quick Cliff's Notes version. Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, going the wrong way. And on a road to Damascus one night, God in his grace, mercy, and unbelievably wise providence spoke directly to Paul. And called him to be an apostle. To be an apostle means you've seen the risen Christ and received the directive of ministry from him. Paul had this role in the Corinthians' life. He'd been there before. As Pastor Brian told us last week, the Corinthians had written a letter to Paul. This is Paul's response. There was probably another letter before we get 2 Corinthians. So the correspondence and the, the, the relationship between Paul and this church was robust and ongoing. Paul had been there for some time in Achaia and in Corinthians. In fact, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, I don't write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. You may have countless guides in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul had a big part in leading this church. In fact, in chapter 9, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? In talking about compensation in the gospel, he says, Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not you, my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, I at least am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This, this was an ongoing thing, and for some reason, the Corinthians, though they acknowledged it, at different times, they were skeptical of Paul's ministry. They were dismissive of it. And Paul appeals to this. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. You might say, Trey, why are you building so much time on this? We, we all kind of know that. Well, the point is, is that he's not citing his own authority He's building himself into the call of God by the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he begins to talk about how, what is the significant parts of them, he's building unity into their lives. This becomes even more evident here when he name drops. And our brother, Sosthenes. Sosthenes is not Paul's co-author, Paul writes in the first person the whole time, I, 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 I. So they didn't write the letter together, but they're together. He's with him. Who is Sosthenes? The rest of the letter doesn't mention him at all. Acts chapter 18, you don't have to turn there, but let me read a little story to you. This is likely the man. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, Achaia is the Roman province, and Gallio is the Roman ruler. The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. So the Jews in that area get together. They say, we're not going to put up with this anymore. They drag Paul into the Roman proconsul. 
But when Paul was about to open his mouth, I assume to defend himself, Gallio said to the Jews, the Roman leader, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own laws, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. So the Jews leave with egg on their face, and the Roman council says, Why are you bothering me with this? And the Jews all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Oh. And they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to this. So the Roman council didn't care. He didn't care what the Jews did to their own people. Didn't want to care. But this guy Sosthenes was the ruler of the synagogue at that time, uniting the Jews into the Roman tribunal. The guy throws him out, the leader, and the Jews take it out on Sosthenes for embarrassing them in front of the Roman government. If this is the same man from the province of Achaia, which is where Corinth is located, then Paul name drops this, and I believe it probably is. Paul name drops this to say, this is a name drop like a slap in the face. This guy was trying to get me in trouble, and now he's with me, and you know him. Helping me while you guys question my ministry and wreck the church through divisions that distract from the gospel. I've gotten over, Paul says, this guy trying to get me imprisoned because of the gospel, and you guys divide and fight over the pettiest things. I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. I follow Christ. I don't know what y'all are doing, but me and Sosthenes, we're buddies now because of the gospel. And I, I cannot come up with a better explanation for that than this. And how profound that the gospel changes not only your lives, but the relationships that you have with one another. It's a wonderful truth. Second verse. So that's Paul. called The call of God on Paul's life and the effect it's having. Number two, God calls the church. Verse two, to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Again, I think the most important thing that we can think about as my unifying theme here through this, this sermon is that, that these people were called by God. The church of God in Corinth, they're sanctified. What a declarative statement. We'll talk about it in a minute. Called to be saints. Called to be saints what does that mean to those sanctified in christ jesus called to be saints i think there's a great purpose intended in the mind of the apostle paul when he speaks this way he starts out by stating their identity as saints the word saint is hagias in the greek it means holy one god declares them holy If you came to the community Bible reading on Wednesday night and you read the whole book, you learned a few things about the Corinthian church. What aren't they? <laughs> They're not holy. In fact, all of chapter 1, really, from verse 10, 
almost all the way out till the book is finished, deals with the wrong decisions, the wrong behaviors, the wrong motivations, the wrong practices of this Corinthian church. If you could imagine a doctrinal error on a behavioral, moral issue in the church, Corinth had it. They did everything evilly, conceivably, that a church could do. And yet he begins by saying to them, you are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now clearly we understand there is a difference between the declarative nature of God declaring our position as being sanctified in this world, between the ongoing practice and, and, and process of us getting holy. You understand this, don't you? Do you understand that God, if you are in Christ, has called you and declared you to be a saint? That's not something just for uh, special people. That's not the way the Bible speaks of it. We who are in Christ are saints, set apart, marked out by God. Ephesians 2.10 says he's even prepared good works for us before the foundations of the world that we would walk in them. We are saints. And at the same time of that, you understand, I hope you do, in your own hearts, that you are not a saint. <laughs> in the more colloquial sense of the word. When someone says, speaks about my wife, they say, what a saint sometimes. And I've never seen her, you know, I say, well, you should live with her, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I love, and you're not wrong, but we know, right? We know. We are all living in sin. Leviticus, this is not a new truth. Leviticus chapter 19, uh, when Moses wrote to the nation of Israel, he said, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for the Lord your God is holy. This is the declarative will of God for us that we would become holy and every one of us should tremble and be struck by the immensity and enormity of that demand on our lives and, uh, and understand that apart from Christ we could not produce the fruit of holiness. That that must come through the Spirit and Christ's work in us as we abide in Him. Moses delivered that truth even a little bit later in Deuteronomy chapter 7 when he said, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you, a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. I am, you are, in the eyes of God, as righteous as Jesus Christ. However, I do not and you do not always act like it. My standing is defined as holiness, my behavior reveals my unholiness in an amazing way that's easier for us to talk about with them then than us now. The Corinthians were declared holy, holy because they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and not holy in the way they lived. They had not yet made their life match their position, which is an ongoing process. The book of 1 Corinthians divides itself up into two sections neatly. This little greeting, and then chapter 1, verse 4, all the way to the end of chapter 6. And in chapter 7, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, now about the things you wrote about. Now we'll talk about those things. 
Okay, so it really there's a break in the middle of the book. Do you understand? So I want you to feel something here that's so beautiful that we'll come back to there. But it is not an accident. This is the, the, the Holy Spirit of God taking the Apostle Paul and using these words. He here declares them, look at the language, to be sanctified in Christ Jesus. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul to these same people at the very end of the first section, at the end of chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, not revilers, not swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Called. (laughs) Sanctified. How differently he declares it early and in closing. He reminds them of their past sins that are still in many ways infiltrating the church. But he reminds them of the glorious truth. Yeah, you were that way, but God. So beautiful. And such were some of you, and such was I. The sins Paul corrects were common in Corinth. In the middle of the first century, Corinth was like the New York, the Los Angeles, the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Corinth valued impressive public speakers, status, greed, immoral sex, personal rights, idolatry. Welcome to America. Members of the church in Corinth grew up in this pagan context, and since they had only recently become Christians, it's not surprising that they were still to some degree figuring this out. The people of Christ Jesus are contrasted here, who they are in Christ and who Christ wants them to be. There's another thing here that he comes to grips with, and it's very, very helpful for us. And it's a good reminder, again, as Paul is trying to call them to unity, we should be together. They're going to face, they're talking about divisions, and Paul's trying to build rapport and trying to build commonality and unity with them in this greeting. He says, not just you. He reminds them that the church is bigger than this little group of kids at Corinth. But also together with all the saints who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We start with the local church, and then he goes to the broad, invisible church. Not not quite the universal church, which theologians would declare as everybody every time who'd ever lived, you know, but the, the invisible church on earth, the ones I can't see, the ones we just prayed for in Ukraine, if we're speaking today. Why does Paul, good interpretive question, move from just talking about the Corinth church to the broader church? The church belongs to God, not to Paul, not to them. If they really understood this more fully, divisions would have been less likely to occur. All Christians are saints in the sense that they are already declared holy. God's people becoming progressively holy become to understand that we're not in this alone. This is actually a callback from much great Old Testament language. 
And I'm looking at the clock, and I'll just give you Exodus 19, 5, and Haggai 2, 7. There's several other here. Listen to the words of Malachi 1, 11. Okay? Listen to the words of Malachi 1, 11, the strongest echo from the Old Testament in this passage. For from the rising of the sun, there's a song that's very popular right now that is all about this language. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. What does it take to be part of the church? Well, just this little language, Paul puts some things together. Sanctified, called together, and naming the name. If they'd thought about this universal church, they would have been able to take Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 3 way better. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death, present, future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Okay. (laughs) I don't always love everything everyone in this church does. Do you believe that? I've lived just long enough to probably figure out that all of you don't love everything I do. I'm sorry. I am. I wish we could. But this kind of divisive thought and habit is what Paul is trying to address. He's going, you think I'm going strong at it. Oh, just wait. I mean, we have paragraphs devoted to this. He is just trying to build this unity. And his broader point is, we're in this together. And it's not just you. And it's not just here. We are part of something bigger, contrasting the local church with the universal church to, again, to point them to unity. It's not just about us here at Heather Hills. It is about something bigger, the church of God. And I'm glad it is. And I'm glad it is. Third thought here, the call of God himself. My kids are tired of this, but all week, one of them starts fussing with another, and I say, grace and peace. Grace and peace. (laughs) But that's what I've been studying. Now, a little different here. The call of God was this voice image, if you will, that Paul called, or God called Paul, and then we as a church, and the church universal has been called. They're the recipients. I'm I'm twisting my own logic here uh, to make this fit, but I think it helps amplify my broader point, and I'm okay with that. This is the call of God himself. The common greeting, I think I said this before in the message, uh, is that Paul would have said prosperity and health, or, you know, peace and health. And it would have been a wish from Paul to his hearers. That's not what Paul does. He changes the ancient Greco-Roman greeting from a wish for good health and offers spiritual blessings. It can only come from Christ. Paul has no ability to offer grace and peace to anyone and neither do you. So you feel the logic that I'm going with here. This is the call of God, the blessing of Christ Jesus to you, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul will 
used this beautifully, this idea of grace. What is grace? Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. A few have died. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. There's some Ecclesiastes language, no vanity here. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and you believed. Paul had felt this grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus that is available to us because of the substitutionary death of our Lord on our behalf, and the love of Christ constrained him, compelled him to share this message of grace with everyone, and it becomes a theme in his letter. And so it becomes part of his opening salvo. Grace. You need grace. It reminds me of what um, Jesus in the encounter with his apostles when uh, he's several left and Jesus asked his disciples, are you going to go away too? And I believe as Peter spoke for the group who said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Friends, I love you. Your families love you. Your children love you. You have, you have friends. Nobody's giving you grace but Jesus Christ. You're not getting unmerited favor. You're not getting the, un, the, the, the blessings you don't deserve but in Jesus. It's a great thing we have the call of God, and we should put such high value on it. But not just grace, peace. Peace. What does he mean by peace? Does he mean like, oh, I finally get to sit home at the end of the day? I don't think so. And not the way Paul uses the word. This word is the absence of hostility. This word, it's not in my notes, this word is what Russia and Ukraine need right now. It's the Greek word arene. I always remember that because arene day is peaceful. So that's how I got an A in Greek. Um, peace. Peace. Do you understand the hostility that we were born with against God? Enemies, children of the devil, blind, hated, and hating one another. The language the Bible uses is profound. And Paul wrote to the church at Rome, because of the work of Jesus, we have been justified by faith and we have peace with God. Peace. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Grace and peace. In Jesus, you can find all the blessings of God. Well, how does this connect to the gospel? It's so obvious. It's so it's the opposite of Ecclesiastes. Like I said, we have these overt references to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do they call him Lord? He's, he's, he's conquered death. 
The resurrection is implied here so strongly. The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, your Lord and ours. He's called Christ. This biblical theology theme running all the way through the Old Testament. The promised one, the anointed one of God coming through the Old Testament that John the Baptist said, Behold, here he is, the Lamb of God, the the real Passover Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And this idea of saints that we actually could because of the atonement of Jesus, because of his great purification offering on our behalf, that we could be called saints? It's profound. It's glorious. I'm going to invite the praise team back up to the uh, platform. We'll be uh, singing a final song as I land this plane here. I said um, at the start that my thought for you this morning is that God is still calling and we need to recognize the call of God in our lives collectively placing us here at Heather Hills to receive his blessing. We're here. If you're here and you're not a believer... You don't understand the language. I've said words that are a little over your head. As your friend, I want to say to you that yeah, if God has not called you, then you are outside the family of God. So hard for me to say. You, you, you are cut off from God's grace and peace. You need it. I would love you to have it. Turn from your sin. Believe in Jesus. Speak to me after the service, or Pastor Brian. Allow us to help you understand from the Scripture the wonderful truth of grace and peace in Jesus Christ. Those of us who are here regularly and feel that we're connected to God through Christ, I, I, I implore you, place the right significance on your church family. Place the right significance on participation in your church family as this is the place that God has called you. This is the primary source of God's blessing to you now. Rejoice that God would call you a saint. That you would be sanctified even in the midst of the process of growing and being sinful. That you would be with this Corinthian church among all those who name the name of the Lord Jesus. We must protect. We must protect our mutual relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We must fight against our rugged individualism. Americans. No, no, we're critical spirits. We, we fight and divide over the pettiest things. That is American and is not Christian. Certainly there are times, there are hills to die on. But we must make sure it's not petty and unnecessary. We must embrace the unity we have in the universal church and in the local church through Jesus. It is our most important activity and it is our highest support group here on earth. And I just want to love you with these last words. Embrace the grace and peace of God. Where else could you go? What a blessing that you have grace and peace. Don't take it for granted Minimize it because you've walked with God so long. Remember that there are many outside the fold of God who wish they had grace and peace. Many 
May God give us hearts of compassion for them, and then may we live in ways that would allow them to see that that is living and alive in our hearts and lives. Father, may the word of God go deep into our hearts and change us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.